Welcome to the Huntley Baptist Church podcast. We hope that this message can be an encouragement to you today. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist@extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com. I'm about to tell you a story which relates to this. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. If you can come up with the remotest reasonable idea of what on earth my story has got to do with that, you get the chocolate, all right? This story happened some years ago at Huntley College. Oh, I thought I'd get all this yay and stuff. Thank you, Lynette. I think we'll give you a chocolate because you're the only person who said yay for Huntley College. There you are. So this story happened there. Now, I went, into the, I went to the school because I had to see a teacher. And they said, oh, the teacher's in the library right now. So I went in the library. And when I got there, the teacher was just in the process of really telling off a boy who must have done something naughty. And this boy's sitting there at the table, kind of looking like a startled rabbit, and the teacher's going like this. You muck around, and you're a waste of time, and you just don't spend any time working here, and blah, blah, blah. He told him off big time, and he says, it's time you pulled your socks up, boy. Have you ever heard that saying? So the boy looked very surprised to have socks mentioned at this moment. And he reached down like this, and he pulled up his socks, and the teacher absolutely gave him both barrels. You know perfectly well what I mean. And, I'm, and, and so afterwards, being the person I am, I decided to take the teacher aside for a not fatherly chat because I'm half his age. But uh, I said to him, I'll call him Fred. I said, Fred, what you did in there was most unfair. That boy had no idea what you meant. When you said pull your socks up, he pulled his socks up, and you yelled at him in front of everybody. He did not know what you meant. The little girls over on the other table who went to Kimmer Hair School, they knew what you meant. That's why they were giggling. But he did not know what you meant. Now, what has that story got to do with this? It looks like my chocolate is safe. Is it? Can't you see any, anything to do with it? It's a, who said that? You get it. It's a metaphor, she said. You, I don't know if you can pick up any microphone. Look, I'll put a microphone here. You tell us what a metaphor is. Um, it's hard to explain. It's a thing. It says bread of life. It doesn't mean bread literally. It is figurative. Oh, look at that. Did she hit the jackpot? She did. Something that's like something else. All right, that's a pretty good answer too. I think Vicky's, uh, I think Janine's was the best, but we give out chocolate because we do have a few left. So Janine used these two words, which were on my next slide, literal and figurative. When Mr. Teacher told the boy to pull up his socks, was he talking literally or figuratively? But the boy did not understand that. And... Uh, Nathan stood up here once and he gave a lesson on figurative language, on figures of speech, on symbolism and language. And it was a very, very good lesson too, but it was a few years back, so I think it's about time I talked about it again. Now, when we talk in figurative terms, often the language sounds silly, all right? Why on earth would you tell a boy to attend to his socks when his whole attitude stinks, all right? Well, his socks might have stunk too, I don't know. But... but uh, when, when people use figurative language, it often sounds silly if you try and make it, if you try and take it literally. So people say, and they often use the word wrongly. They say, oh, it was so hot the other day, I literally melted. No, you didn't. If you literally melted, you wouldn't be here. You'd be dead, all right? 
you figuratively melted. It was a figure of speech. Oh, I was literally beside myself. You couldn't literally be beside yourself. You're either here or there, you know? Uh, sometimes these things can cause troubles, can't they? So a kid comes to me and says, Hey, sir, uh, when we finish this, can I jump on the computer? I say, No, you can't. You sit on the chair and you put your fingers on the keyboard, you know? But, but they didn't mean that, all right? I'm misunderstanding on purpose. Now, one day Janet came home. She used to go to a, a Bible study group with some older women who were a great help to her. Uh, there was Dorothy Chain, Lee's mother used to go, and uh, Jean Satrap and, and uh, you know, put Jeanette Warner and people of that generation. And Janet, as a young mum, found it encouraging to be around these older mums who could help her. Well, one day, Janet came home from the Bible study not happy, but very sad. She was a bit tearful. And I said, oh, what's wrong? So-and-so called me a brick. I said, oh, tell me about it. So Janet had done something, and this lady said to her, oh, Janet, you're a brick. Now, Janet was crying, because I said, well, what do you think that means? She said, well, it's like saying you're dumb, like you're thick. You know? I said, no, it's not at all. It's an English expression. But uh, when I was young, and I'm English myself, I knew exactly what it means. When you say someone's a brick, it means they're solid, reliable. You can depend on them. It's a very nice thing to say. If somebody who was born in England and about the war tells you that, please take it as a compliment. I don't know what it means if a teenager tells it to you. So these things can cause trouble. If we take figurative language wrongly, it could cause us trouble. Do you get that? It can cause hurt and upset, like the sock boy and like Janet. So we have to be very, very careful. Now, problems with figurative language are even worse when it's not your first language. If it's a language you're not very used to, does the Maori language have figures of speech? Does it? It does. And, and for instance, this is aqua heiti he ponami. You know what that means? You know what ponami means, don't you? Yeah, it's this green stone or New Zealand jade. Do you know what iti means? Do you? It means, it means small. So this, this expression, aqua heiti he ponami, as my daughters gave me this tohu that's around my neck right now, they could have said, Dad, aqua heiti he ponami, which means it's only small, but it's, it's green stone. And that would have been figurative or literal? Literal, wouldn't it? Because it really is. But if I'm talking about Kate Taylor, and I say, you know I'm not talking literally. You know it must have another meaning. And unless you're pretty clever, even if I translated it for you, which I just have, you might not know what it means. Do you know what it means? Do you know what it means? If I was to say about Kate Taylor, what would it mean? That's right. It's exactly what it means. But it takes a bit of thinking. You have to know, don't you? Uh, in English, we have similar expressions. Please remember that in the Māori world, ponami was the most valuable substance. In English, we might sometimes say something like, oh, that guy there is solid gold. Well, literally, that's ridiculous. He's not a, a statue, okay? But what we try to say is, he's a good fella. He's a good fella. He's a good value, right? We might say, that guy there is a diamond in the rough, all right? Now, it doesn't mean that he's made of carbon and, well, you are actually, but you know what I mean, all right? So in different languages, figurative language goes differently. Now, this is a little aside for you, and it's a plea from me, because you know I'm really into building bridges. Be very careful how you use figurative language around Huntley. I have found in my many years here that a lot of people in Huntley don't understand it 
as well as perhaps we did when we were at school. When we went to school, we studied proverbs and what they meant, right? If you go to Rako Manga school, you will study Maori proverbs and what they mean, so you'll know this one, but you won't study English ones. Now, in the other schools, they don't seem to do it so much. So what that means is, it's a minefield. Uh, if you're using figurative language, be very, very careful. Please also remember that a lot of the people around us are immigrants. They didn't grow up with these expressions at all. So if I'd got up to start my sermon and said, all right, let's kick it in the guts, the immigrants would go, what? What are, what are you on? And, but in New Zealand language, it simply means, hey, let's get started, all right? So figurative language is a, <laughs> a minefield. All right. Jesus answered, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger, and whoever believes in me will never thirst. How many people in this room has ever come to Jesus? Have any of you ever come to Jesus? Three people have come to Jesus. That's great. Do you ever get hungry? Yes, I hear a yes. Unspiritual people. Do you, does anybody here believe in Jesus? Do you ever get thirsty? then I think we've kind of established the fact that this must be figurative language. Do you get it? Not tummy, spirit. Jesus is not talking about this kind of bread in your tummy. He's talking about food for your spirit. And we've got a lot to look at on that. Now, if we translate, if we look at the Maori Bible, it says, Koahou te taro o te ora. This has always interested me. Because when they translated the Bible into Māori, they didn't put bread of life, they put the taro of life. You know what taro is? The strange thing is that although taro is a staple food through Polynesia, when the Māori people brought taro to New Zealand, it wouldn't grow into the roots that people like to eat. You can eat the leaves. But still that memory is there that taro is a staple. Now I don't know, but if I read the Chinese Bible, it might say Jesus is the rice of life. Or if I read the Italian one, it might say he's the pasta of life. I don't know. Right? I don't know. But the point is, it was never meant to be literal. The person who translated the Bible into, into Māori thought, what's the best way to say this so they'll understand? It's something staple. It's something we need. We need it all the time. Let's look at the background to this. When Jesus said it, you know the story, don't you? Jesus took some bread, some little loaves of bread. Remember that? You've heard the story, haven't you? He broke it up, he gave it out, and he fed 5,000 people. 5,000 men, actually, with their families. That's a picture of what it might have looked like. Do you remember that story? All right. The people were so impressed by that, so impressed by the bread, they must have liked it, that they decided to grab Jesus and make him be their king by force. At this stage, the disciples hopped in a boat and scarpered. I don't know quite what Jesus did, but he was left behind. He somehow managed to, to escape being made king by force. Maybe he just said no. And uh, that night, the disciples are gone in the boat. Jesus is still on the shore, but he wants to go too. So what does he do? Do you remember? He goes for a walk. Okay, so Jesus walks across the water. And in the, in the middle of the night, the disciples look, and here he is walking across the water. This all happened just before he said this. Okay, so the next day, they get to uh, where they've gone, which is across the, the lake. And when, when the people wake up the next morning, they go, hang on a minute, only one boat left with the disciples in it. Jesus wasn't in the boat. Where's he gone? But luckily there were a few boats around, so they grabbed some and they started going to look for Jesus. And uh, when they find Jesus, they ask him a question. And this is what they say. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Now, 
what do you think of Jesus' answer? Did it answer the question? He says, truly, truly, I say to you, it is not... Oh, I'm going to have to turn the other way. That red's hard to see. Can, can you see the red? No, sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's, it's kind of been changed around. It was quite clear, but it's, <laughs> it's been improved. It says this. Uh, Jesus replied, Truly, truly, I tell you, it is not because you saw these signs that you were looking for me, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. So in other words, they come along and what they ask is, how did you get here? When did you get here? And, and he goes, actually, I know what you hear about. It's about the bread. So, uh, can you actually work ahead, Samuel, to change those backgrounds? Because, yeah, because what's happening is the red was, I think, will be very plain against the white background. All right. So you might say, well, why did Jesus talk about bread when they're asking how he got there. This is why, because that was the topic of the day. Everyone was talking about bread. Jesus is like us. You remember, I've stood up here and I've said to you, listen to what people are saying. Join in. Remember I've said that? So if people are talking about uh, how did the world begin and they're talking about fossils, you say, have you ever thought about how fossils were made? It's actually not how you're taught in school. It doesn't make sense. You join in where they are, you see. If, people, if somebody's saying to you, oh, look, I just don't know what to do about my kids. They're driving me mad. We say, Hey, I wonder if there's any way we can help. And we start there. All right? That's better, is it? Great. Yeah. So uh, sometimes the old ways are the best. Right. So, so Jesus is doing that. He knows they're thinking about bread. So that's why he talks about bread, just like we do. We start from where people are. Jesus said this to them. Do not work for food that perishes but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Now, once again, Jesus was not intending to be fully literal. Jesus doesn't say never work for food. We're meant to work for our food, actually. If, we're, if you're in a situation where everybody gives you something for nothing, it's not what God intended. So the whole idea that we plant crops and we harvest them and we bake bread and stuff like that is all good. Jesus isn't saying we shouldn't work to get some food. He's saying, don't let that be the focus of your life's work. In other words, Jeremy Welsh. Yeah, he goes to work to buy some money, to get some money to buy some food, right? But if you said, what was Jeremy's life's work? What was Brian's life's work? What was Ben's life's work? It wasn't to do with physical food. It was something that lasts. It was something bigger. Then they inquired, what must we do to perform the works of God? Jesus replied, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Now, when I've been thinking about that, I thought, that's pretty amazing. If I said to everyone here, what do you think the work of God is? We'd come up with all sorts of ideas. Because we do work for God, don't we? We do all sorts of things. But the main work that Jesus asks us to do for God is probably something we wouldn't have thought of at all. Do you see what he says? The work of God is this, to believe and the one he has sent. That's pretty plain, isn't it? To believe in Jesus. You can't have a more important work than that. I didn't say that. That's Jesus. So they asked him, What sign will you then perform so that we may see it and believe you? Now what they mean by sign is, in those days, if people did a sign, it was something like something special that only you could do, and that's like a sign that God's with you. Do you get how dumb these people are? What sign then will you perform so that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. 
to which probably somebody's there going, Doh, he just fed 5,000 people with a few crummy little rolls. Duh. But they wanted a sign. They seemed to miss the point. People did, didn't they? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. The bread of God is he. The bread is a person. What a surprise they must have got. He didn't even talk about the miracle. Sir, they said, give us this bread at all times. Jesus answered, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger, and whoever believes in me will never thirst. That's how we know he's speaking figuratively. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. That was the bread that God showered down from heaven when the Israelites were going through the desert. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that anyone may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And this bread, which I will, get, which I will give for the life of the world, is my flesh. Now this gets weirder and weirder. Right? It just gets just, whoa. And it, in fact, it gets even weirder. Wait for this. At this, the Jews began to argue among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? The Jews were not cannibals. And they didn't believe that anybody should be cannibals. In fact, the Jews were under such strict laws that if they killed a beast to eat, which they were allowed to do, they had to make sure that all the blood was out of it. They weren't allowed to eat any of the blood in there. They had to clean it and be very, very careful. And here's this guy coming up with this stuff. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I tell, to you, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh and drink the blood of the Son of Man, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Now this is just getting. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. And even I am going, whoa, this is just getting freaky. I'm going to take a little time out from the scripture to tell you that, have you ever heard the saying, you are what you eat? You've heard that? Now, a little while ago, I read something, maybe a year ago, in the news, because I read all sorts of stuff. I'm interested in research and science and stuff. I read something that I now cannot find, otherwise I'd read it to you, but you're going to have to trust my memory on this because it's pretty good. I read in this scientific study that they had proof that the people who lived thousands of years ago in Europe, like right back in Neanderthal times, actually were great travelers and traveled huge distances. How could they know that? This is how. They found some bones in France, and these are ancient bones, very, very old, and when they analyzed the bones, they knew that the people did not come from there. They came from somewhere right up by Switzerland. How could they tell? Because the bones had minerals in them that reflected the soil where the people had grown up. Strontium, is it? Okay, you, you know more about this stuff, but I'm going, whoa, this is amazing. Now what that means is the famous Jones family, all right, sit over there. They live out Pukemiro there. And they grow fruit trees and they grow vegetables and fruit, stuff like that. They eat the potatoes that they grow themselves. They raise a few animals. They kill the animals, eat them for meat and so on. They, they grow up like that. It means in a thousand years, the scientists can come along, look at their bones and go, oh, 
these people. We don't know what their name is, but we know where they came from. Now, that wouldn't apply to the rest of us because we eat food from all over the world, from the supermarket, all right? But it applies to people who eat the food from where they live. They can tell. So when the Bible says that we're made of dust, it's quite literal. The very soil that grew the very food you eat is part of you. You got this in the physical? So Jesus, when Jesus says, if you eat me, I'm a part of you, he's referring to something that's true in the physical, although they didn't really understand that. I don't really. All right? So you got that. Now, in New Zealand, we don't have enough selenium in the soil. So if we don't eat any food from somewhere else, we're going to get rather unwell. See, one Brazil nut every day, and that's enough selenium for you. All right? Don't forget. Now, we all know that. We kind of know that, don't we? Because we grow a lemon tree and we say, right, we want this lemon tree to be good, so we, we nourish. What do we nourish? The soil, don't we? We nourish the soil. We put fruit around the base of the tree, and if you're into it, you pee on the tree to make it grow better. And then what happens is, we know that if we make the soil just right, the lemons will grow. And so just try not to think about it when you're eating the lemon, okay? Let's, let's come back to cannibalism for a minute, all right? Cannibalism, this... This place, right where we were, cannibal people lived here. They ate each other for hundreds of years. And there was a huge transformation in the early 1800s. And I've read an amazing testimony from a man who basically said, I used to eat people and it seemed good to me. But since I've known Jesus Christ, I don't want to do that anymore. He totally changed a local man from around here. Now, the Maori people, when they heard the gospel, they knew that this was all figurative because they actually stopped eating each other. They didn't start. Uh, historically, I don't know about here, but in, in a world sense, one of the reasons for cannibals to eat people was that you would believe that if you took a, a mighty enemy and you killed him and you ate him, his courage and strength would somehow come into you. It wasn't just physical food. This is a belief that many people had. And that's one of the reasons why people used to eat people. Jesus is saying, in a spiritual sense, there's some truth in it. We eat Jesus. We take him in. Because what's inside us comes out. Does that make sense? Some of you know my brother Duncan, who was whangaied into our family when he was small. Now, Duncan is a Maori, it was a Maori boy, but he was raised by Pākehās. But he says to me, hey, bro, can you show me how to play a guitar? I said, all right. So he's about maybe 10, 11 or something. So I said, right, here we go, Duncan. You put your fingers like that. See, and that's a D chord. And you just strum it like this. So he goes, the meanest Maori strum. You're going, Woo, where did that come from? It came from inside. You know, he was raised with Parkers, but there's something inside. All right. Now, my little grandson, Jude, he's two years old. He walks around like this. In fact, when he started walking, he walks around like this. Where does that come from? me. No, he doesn't live with me, all right? I didn't teach him how to do it. When he started walking, he starts walking around like this with his hands behind his back. And then and Hannah and Jason crack up. <laughs> That's funny. He's just like his coral. Yeah, he is. I'm on it. He's a good kid. That's why if we eat Jesus and we focus on Jesus and we think about Jesus and we read about Jesus, we talk about Jesus, we listen to people talking about Jesus, will be made of him. And like the Joneses are made out of their soil. Do you get that? And he'll start to come out of us from inside, naturally, just naturally, like Duncan's guitar playing and like Jude's walk. Yeah? Yeah? 
You onto this? Right. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so also the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Unlike your fathers who ate the manna, that was the heaven bread, and died, the one who eats this bread will live forever. Why does Jesus keep saying it? Because we're so dumb, we need to keep hearing it. That's why it didn't work for them. I hope it does for us. Jesus said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. On hearing it, many of the disciples said, this is a difficult teaching. Who can accept it? You see, they were horrified. This was the worst teaching Jesus ever gave. Because that day, most people who were following Jesus left. I said to Murray, Murray was going to be away this week. I said, he's going to come back next week. If you're all still here, he said, oh, Jeremy couldn't have said it right because you're all still here. Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this teaching, Jesus asked them, does this offend you? Then what will happen if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? I'm, I'm sorry, I probably forgot to say this. this. All these scriptures are from John chapter 6, but the verse numbers are on them. Uh, the Spirit gives life. The, fret, the flesh profits nothing. The words I've spoken to you are spirit, and they are life. Now, I believe that there is a book that helps us to understand what the Bible says. Do you know what the book is? It's the Bible. The best way to understand what the Bible says is to look in the Bible. And I'm doing something unusual here because this was so, such a freaky scripture, I thought, I'm going to see if I'm on the right track. So I looked up a commentary by a man called Matthew Henry. And he says this, Christ shows that he is the true bread. He is to the soul what bread is to the body nourishes and supports the spiritual life. He is the bread of God, bread which the Father gives, which he has made to be the food of our souls, said Matthew Henry. So I'm not just making it up. I was rather relieved that somebody else came to the same conclusion. So what I'm going to say to you is, feed your soul on Jesus. Everyone needs to feed on Jesus. You see, when the Queen of England sits down for lunch, she eats some bread, right? When the, the poorest little kid in Huntley West sits down and unwraps his sammies that the tribal Hucks gang in Arawahi have made for him, he eats bread. It doesn't matter who you are. You might have three university degrees and gone to Bible college and think you're the shiz, all right? But you still need, you still need to feed on Jesus. You might think you're as dumb as soup because you didn't even finish school. You still need to, to, to feed on Jesus, the living bread. Every day. All right? Now, Jesus could have said, I am the champagne and caviar of life. But he didn't. Because champagne and caviar is for special occasions. All right? What do we have every day? Bread. That's what. Now, you might say, what have you got that? What do you call that thing? Gluten intolerance. All right? Back in Jesus' day, people didn't. You had bread, that was it. All right? <laughs> they, they didn't because the, the wheat was better, I think. So Jesus is the bread that we take every day. And if you don't, now you probably know that Janet, Janet said she's really good at this. Uh, we go for a walk, and we walk around the lake, and Janet goes, oh dear, oh boy, oh. You know what happened? She just ran out of petrol. Because <laughs> she didn't eat enough, you see. Oh, I don't mind, I'll just keep going, you know. But Janet gets to the stage, and thing sits empty. Oh, where can I sit down, you know. I should have brought a muesli bar, okay? Because the thing about, you can fast, all right? In fact, 
we probably should. But if you're doing physical work, you've got to have physical food or you run out of warmth. All right? What I'm telling you is our main work actually isn't physical, it's spiritual. And you need spiritual food or you run out of warmth. The picture really works, doesn't it? Every way, all right? In every way. Now, there's all kinds of things. People say, read the Bible. You go, well, I'm pretty dumb. I can't read very much. All right, do your best. Read other good books by good Christians. Listen to people you trust tell you about Jesus. I mean, there's some people out there who are pretty dumb. They, they'll take, talk cuckoo about Jesus. But if you trust the person to tell you the truth, listen to it. That's why it's good to come here. Somebody stands up the front, tells you about Jesus, and you can trust the people here. You can trust me, if you like. So, listening is a good way to know. And Jesus knew that. He didn't hand out books to all those people. He told them. Some people find radio and TV can very, be very helpful. There are good things on the radio and good things on the TV that feed your soul with stuff about Jesus, all right? Get together with other people. Now, it feeds our soul to be together, but that's actually because Jesus is amongst us, all right? You say, well, when I went home today, I got a big lift from being with everybody. Yes, and they are good people, and we are friends, and we'd like to help you, and we want to support you. But actually, Jesus himself has promised to be here just because we are. Is that a buzz or what? He says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of you. Pretty cool. And I want to ask two more things of you. Expect wonderful things, all right? If Jesus, what Jesus says is, that he's going to give us everlasting life if we feed on him. But I'll tell you, that doesn't just start after you die. It's not like you just, you know, you live an ordinary life and then you die and you go to heaven. Your whole life is going to be amazing. Everlasting life, eternal life, starts when? Salvation. It's, it's salvation. You say, I'm in, I'm going to follow Jesus. That's the moment your eternal life begins. And we'll be focusing on this this week. We'll be thinking about Ben. We'll be thinking about Brian. And these are two men who took that to its logical conclusion. They say, all right, we'll eat Jesus. We're going to do that. We're going to fill our lives with him and see what happens. Well, what did happen? Don't miss the funerals because there'll be stories that will encourage you. You'll be able to say, ha, ah, I could do that. That could be me. God could lead me in that way if I open myself up to him. You see, Jesus promised us life more abundantly. That means life to the max. Woo! And the last thing, you know this comes from Jeremy because I'm always saying it. Tell us, all right? One of the things we could do, but probably don't do as much as we could, is to actually tell each other what wonderful things happened when we trusted in God. Now, a man came up to me and he says, Oh, look, I didn't like to tell you what God's done because oh, like, I don't want to push myself. No, it's not about that. He's here, so I hope his ears are burning. But it's not about that. It's about, have we got a good God? Does he do things? You remember Jim Stinton used to come here? Yeah, all right. He used to stand up the front. He'd tell us things he'd done and what God had done. And I'm sitting there saying, I could do that. I could do that. And that's the whole plan. You know, with Murray or I or Mark or someone gets up, we hope you're sitting there going, I could do that. Yeah, that could work for me. I reckon I could. Now, if it's, if it's happening, then tell people. Because it encourages. When somebody hops up and says, hey, guess what? I was, but God did a great thing, and now we go, whoa, choice. And the next time we pray with a bit more confidence, because we know it happens. Now, here's a footnote to my sermon. Somebody might say, or might have said, look, Jeremy, you've just sort of proceeded with your talk as you were going to, but we've actually lost two great men of God. Are you going to refer to that? So here's the footnote. 
did I put anything in my sermon today about Ben and Brian? Well, actually, the whole sermon was about Ben and Brian today, all right? When William Booth died, the founder, founder of the Salvation Army, somebody said, I think it was his wife, Catherine, said the secret to William Booth is that at one stage in his life, he decided that God would have everything there was to be had of William Booth. But later on, years later, his daughter said, no, nah, that wasn't the secret. The secret was he kept the promise. So we have been talking about Ben and Brian today. We're inspired by them. They took Jesus at his word. So if you're wondering what this eating Jesus will lead to, how to work Jesus into every part of your life, consider Brian and Ben. Come to the funerals and be inspired by an amazing story. Let's just pray. Thank you, God, that you've promised that if we, just, if we eat Jesus in that way, that he'll become a part of us, and that to do the works of God and to be like Jesus will become very natural to us. It'll just come from inside. We pray that many of us can actually see that happen in our life, that we will determine that we want to do that. We want to hear about Jesus. We want to hear the stories. We want to hang with the people who model Jesus' behavior to us. We want to read things that build us up. And maybe we might want to listen to good things on the radio and TV. We want to fill our life with input so that Jesus can come out of us to other people. We pray ourselves, Lord, for this week, which is for many of us a pretty heavy-duty week as we plan things, uh, as we've got stuff to move and talks to give and people to meet and food to make, we pray you'd be with us all and that we'd remember, in fact, what you said, that our work, our real work, our life's work is not all those things at all, but it's to believe in the one whom God has sent. Help us not to forget that ever. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Huntley Baptist Church podcast. We hope that it has been an encouragement to you. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist@extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com.